Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So if you remember in, in math class, uh, sometimes those, those math problems we had to do, it takes a long time to solve it, and then you finally get down to the answer. And of course, you know, the, the math teacher, they want to see your work. You know, they want to see you work. Uh, and the thing about sermons, okay, it's a, it's a public expression here. And the thing about a sermon is that, you know, I don't always have to, like, show you my, my work. I, I just give you the answer. I, I give you, like, the conclusions of what I've been working on. Um, I don't, you don't necessarily need to see all the, the skeletons and, um, that, that the flesh is hanging on, so to speak. Um, so I, you know, take notes. I have a process. I, I, won't, I won't get into it all here. I have a process and, and I have a notebook and there's notes and, and you know, that's like a preliminary sermon. And then I take those, all these notes and start to synchronize everything. Well, I am kind of explaining it to you anyways, but, um, <laughs> essentially with this sermon, I kind of just got halted and, 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 um, just felt like God was saying, you don't need to rush and try to do all of, all of the things that you want to do. Actually, just like, like, like Micah 6, 1 to 8 was supposed to be just like one little part of the sermon. And I felt like God was like, no, 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 like, don't just rush. Like, just, it's okay to just sit on this and, and, and maybe like bring some air to it. Don't just keep cruising along and have this like super meaty sermon that, that could potentially be information overload, et cetera, et cetera. It's always something, um, you know, as, as a teacher, I'm sensitive to. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't, I don't want it to be too much, right, um, unless, unless God does. Um, so this sermon, it, it got reshaped. There was a pivot, and uh, we are just hanging out in Micah 6, 1 to 8 today. Um, so one more prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into our sermon today. Oh... Oh, Spirit, um, teach us your ways. God, may we, may we know you. May we know ourselves and know what to do, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, close your eyes, please. <laughs> close, close your eyes. <laughs> If you don't mind, I, I just want to do a little experiment here. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine a society. All right. Use your mental images there. A, a society that's filled with people who purposely do evil things. It's a society that has fraud and theft and, you know, stories of greed and debauchery. And there's oppression, hypocrisy, injustice all over the place. In the news, you hear stories about blackmail and people lying. There's murders. Leaders are corrupt. Leaders make unsupported claims, insincere efforts and attempts at fixing problems. They just blow smoke. Struggles with foreign affairs, foreign policy, relationship with other nations, a society that struggles with idolatry, and so on and so on. You may open your eyes. Now, I don't know where your brain took you. I don't know what images you had in your mind. But I was describing the world of Micah. 
And perhaps some of you thought about our own current time and society. We are not the only generation to live through upheaval, turmoil, unrest. And you know, as, as we look at the larger society, as we look at the broader society, I think many of us inside the church, you know, we, we come up with, like, we have questions and, and, and doubts and we get confused. We get jumbled up. The church is a social body. You know, we're, we're, um, we're a people. We're a body inside a much larger society. And I have suspicion that, you know, as I have studied the American church, American evangelicalism and, and whatnot, I, I, as I reflect on the American church, I think there's many believers who are unsure of what kind of people the church is called to be. In the middle of this larger society that is confused about morals and values, virtues and ethics and so on. Today our driving question is, what kind of people does God call us to be? What kind of people does God call us to be? And thankfully God has something to say. God has given us his, his word a long time ago to the people of ancient Jerusalem and Samaria and and. and, and and around that area, in a boiled-down statement, the prophet Micah clearly reveals what God wants his people to be about. So to begin with some, some context, you know, God, he's creator, and, and, and God wants to rule over all creation, and he wants to work with and through humans for his, for his glory, Okay, that's the context. Of course, there's the sin stories. We shuffle along. We get to, to Israel. God chooses Israel. They, they are selected out of all the families, and God covenants with them. Okay, God cuts a pact with Israel. And essentially, it looks like this. At Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, I believe, you know, follow God, keep the, the, keep the covenant. Follow God, keep the covenant. And then out of all the nations... You are going to be God's treasured possession. Although God owns the entire earth, God owns everything. Although the whole earth is God's, Israel will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Israel, they, they are selected, they are set apart. They're called to serve, be mediators and teachers and worship leaders. And yes, they do have unique requirements, but they are to represent God to the world. This is the character of God embodied in this people group. You know, they are a reflection of, of who their, their maker is. God is king and holy and just. God is good and right. God is a God of relationship and, and love. And so God, he, you know, he, he bends over and says, okay, okay, humans, let's do this. Israel, let's do this. Here's over 600 commandments given. I'm, I'm, I'm also going to give you some festivals and celebrations. Here's some worship instructions and, and more. God institutes them. He, he gives them a framework. And a big idea here is to stay faithful to the covenant. Covenantal faithfulness. And this, this makes sense because they, they were an enslaved people in Egypt. And now they're free and they don't know how to do this. And so God gives them a structure. He gives them a framework. And it makes sense 
hey, spiritual life, religious life, worship life, um, ethics are baked in there, politics are baked in there, uh, taking care of the land and, and agriculture, you know, animals, it's, it's all baked in to the Old Testament law. Governance, it's all there. And the idea is covenantal faithfulness. Hey, stay within this framework, okay? And you will be a blessing. Fruitfulness can be a thing. It's kind of like what I wanted to do in the garden, you know, fruitfulness, increase and multiply and, and, and set our hearts on good things. Well, it's like, yeah, let's, let's do it over again. But now in light of sin, we have a new structure, we have a new system. Fruitfulness can still be a thing. And the, the idea isn't to fall in love with the law, but to fall in love with the law giver. And then we're going to time jump many, many years when we get to the days of Micah. 730 to 690 BC, we find out that this family, the society of Israel, it's, it's bad news, filled with corrupt leaders and justice. There's, there's false prophets. Those in need are being forgotten, mistreated. Dishonest business arrangements are hurting people. Hearts are growing cold. Okay. Ethical behavior is just in short supply. And so in God's mercy, in God's grace, he calls Micah, Micah, to, to prophetically call out the rebellion and the chaos that's going on in the country. Micah has this job to do. And, and it's like, I don't, I don't want Micah's job. Okay, He has to bring warnings to the people. He has to pronounce judgment. Okay, He also is bringing invites Hey, turn things around. Turn your hearts. Repentance. So in Micah 6, the prophetic image that is given here, it's like a courtroom scene. All right? Covenantal faithfulness. When we think of covenant, we think of a marriage. Okay? Covenantal faithfulness. Well, they're being unfaithful. God's heart is breaking here. And now he has to, like, take them to court. You know, metaphorically, God is bringing a covenantal lawsuit against the people. And he calls the mountains and the hills as, as witnesses. All right, creation, let's, let's lean in. You, you, you're seeing this too. And God brings like a, what did I ever do to you type of argument. Like, what did I do to deserve this abandonment, this, this rejection? And so God is defending himself. I have done amazing acts of justice and grace for you. God is defending all the good, the powerful, um, the amazing things that he's done for his people. Like, like when he breaks them out of Egyptian jail and you know, slavery, he, he leads them out of that. He uses Moses. And what, a, what an amazing story that only God can do. God wants to remind the people who he is and what he has done. The people have no good reason. No good reason. To rebel against God. So we'll just pause a second. We can learn from this. What I'm about to say. It's, it's not earth shattering. Okay. It's not going to break your head. When we don't remember. We forget. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Not. Not over. When we don't remember. We forget. Meaning. When, when we don't take time to remember. We, when we don't 
when we forget the blessings of God, we can turn inward. We can become self-centered. Okay? I encourage you to, to take some time in your schedule this week, maybe later today. If you have a pen, jot it down on, on your bulletin handout there. Like, like, just take a few moments this week. Set it apart. Set it apart. Make it holy. Hey, here's five minutes of, of holy remembrance time. I encourage you, take some time to remember who God is in your life. How God has shown up in your life. What, what's a good time for you to do that this week? You're flexing your gratitude muscles. Now, certainly there are things that God wants us to forget. And I know some of us, like, we keep remembering the things we're supposed to forget. But there are things that God wants us to remember. And, and we're flexing our gratitude muscles. And, and remembering is an act of reorientation. Take time to remember who God is and what God has done in your life. And so how did the people respond to God? For me, this is my opinion, they kind of come back at God as ignorant and, and overzealous. Okay, How many offerings does it take to, to satisfy God? What, what does it look like to, to fix things, God? Verse 7, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 streams of oil? That's a lot. And then they up it even more. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression? It's like, whoa, like, goodness. Child sacrifice, like, like no. Where's this coming from, Israel? What does it take to cover our butts? What, what is the good that God requires of us? What is the good that God requires of us? What kind of people does God call us to be? What does God actually find valuable? Hmm. So for me, I want to be a human who can think well, live well, do things well, be well. But you know, the thing about being a human in this world is that the world has done a lot of programming to my mind. And there are times... There are times where it's like my mind bends towards a worldly approach of, of how to make sense of things. And God is completely absent from those thoughts. So let me just kind of sketch it out for you. Um, it it kind of looks like this. Something comes up in the news, and then my, my default thinking sounds like this. Oh man, can't we just buy what we need to buy? Bomb what we need to bomb. Build what we need to build. There, there are times my mind bends towards this just cold indifference. Life is unfair. Get over it. There's nothing we can do. It is what it is. It will be what it will be. Can you relate to that? And then also, kind of like similar to what's going on in, in Micah here, we're, we're religiously programmed as well to, to please God. And that's a good thing, but sometimes the way that we've been spiritually formed, it, it tends towards like, we have to earn this. There's always a price we need to pay in order to cover our, our butts. And so we know we miss the mark all the time. And so we get out that religious checklist. I'm going to pray five minutes longer. I'm going to sneak in an extra devotional. I'm going to tune into Christian radio because I feel like I have to. 
going to put a little extra in the basket. And these are good things, right? But in all of that, is that really the bread and butter of what God is after? Of what God values? Is this the character that God wants for us? Always fearful and trying trying to cover ourselves. What about you guys and gals? Can you think of a time in your life you you tried to please God by doing a religious thing? What happens when our identity is based on a religion, on a religious system? Rules over relationship. What kind of people does God call us to be? Micah 6.8 is remarkable. God addresses not just Israel, not just a faithful uh, remnant. God addresses the entire human race here, the Adam. Okay. The NIV uh, says mortal. Uh, He has shown you, O mortal, uh, the the Adam, the, the, the human. He has shown you, humanity, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Some translations say, I have told you. Some say, I, I, have, um, I have shown you. God has made known to humanity what goodness is. And he hasn't kept it a secret from us. In other words, humanity, you know what to do. God has made known to us what he finds valuable. Humanity, you know what to do, and you are failing at them. And then God gives a clear A clear trilogy of what he aspires for us. Things to think and feel and be and do. To be people who act with justice, but yet also love showing mercy. And people who just humbly walk with God in relationship. Now here's where I'll I'll throw in that, um, not the towel, but... The, the, the throw in the statement that there's a there's a there's so much to talk about when when we're talking about justice and mercy uh, we cannot do a comprehensive deep dive on these principles okay but as we move forward first to act with justice is not about getting even but it's about being a people who care about correction and restoration whether it's on a personal level or it's, it's engagement with, with bigger systems. It's about doing the right thing, making wrong things right. We want unfair things fair. We want to cancel lies with truth. We want reasonable circumstances. And second, to be people who love showing mercy. It means we, we see others. We see them as, as human. People worthy of love, dignity, respect, and we're moved with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Now, justice and mercy, sometimes they feel like they're just opposite, but they're not two opposing streams. I think they flow together side by side, and if we're doing it right, they actually become one stream. There's a, there's a confluence. 
Now, one angle on this approach, Tyler uh, Statton, he's, he's a, a preacher. Um, he helped me with, with these thoughts. Mercy gives us the eyes to see those who are pushed down. Mercy reminds us that they have value. But then justice is then about engaging in that struggle against the evil and, and, and bringing correction and restoration to the schemes and systems and paradigms that push them down to begin with. Justice and mercy. These are big concepts for us to, to think about. There was a moment... Um, Jesus was caught between, uh, between justice and mercy. In John chapter 8, he's teaching at the temple courts, and he's interrupted by the religious leaders, and they brought a woman caught in adultery before him. This woman, and, and just the humiliation and the sin that she's caught in, the, the, the guilt, the shame. Jesus could let a woman be stoned to death by these religious leaders, or he could show her mercy. And that would certainly tick off the religious leaders for sure. But here's the thing in this story. Something smells bad in this story. All right, there, there's a systemic stench. Something is rotten. It's not right. Okay, it is true that the Old Testament law makes room to stone adulterers. And that's, that's serious. But it's adulterers, plural, Meaning that there should be a man in this story as well. And two, in the name of, quote, justice, they, they came to Jesus. Uh, they, they came to Jesus, but their motives were about trying to trap Jesus. They didn't want to do justice. Okay, they wanted to trap Jesus. They could care less about this woman. It, it was just a trick. Justice or mercy, Jesus chooses both. And his heart for justice, Jesus looks to the religious leaders and he's actually like, okay, in terms of breaking the law, all of you have broken the law. You're all guilty. Every single one of you is guilty. The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. What happens is that they start to back away. They, they peel off one by one. And eventually it's just Jesus and the lady Jesus is alone with this lady in a courtroom. You know, kind of. There's no evidence, no accusations. It doesn't mean that no sin has, has occurred. This is Jesus and this lady. And so in his heart for mercy, he looks at her and he forgives her. And his mercy, it doesn't belittle the weight and the damaging reality of adultery. Adultery stinks. It hurts. Jesus knows the pain that she is experiencing. But he looks her in her guilty eyes and says, nobody is left to condemn you and neither do I. Then he gives her a benediction. He says, go and leave your life of sin. And 
invitation to repentance. You see, justice is needed so that people can have an opportunity to be corrected, so that people can see their need for repentance, so that they can be restored and get back to being that human that God wants them to be, a life that is filled with flourishing. Mercy is also needed. It looks sin in the face and it fully engages with that pain and trauma of sin. Mercy knows exactly what justice demands, but then removes it and throws it to the bottom of the ocean. What kind of people does God want us to be? So church, we are invited to be both students and activists of justice and mercy. And what's really going to help us uh, to be students and, and activists of, of, of justice and mercy is if we live a humble life with God. Our understanding of justice and mercy, it, it might be shallow this morning for some of us, but we got to start somewhere. And I say, let's go to the cross In humility. Let's go to the crucified one, the one we worship. Let's go to the crucified one at his cross. At the center of our faith is the gospel. At the center of the gospel is the cross. And the cross is a place of both justice and mercy. We're guilty of sin, but but Jesus chooses mercy. And he willingly goes before us. He goes in our place. And our sins are equitted as we give our, our faith, as we trust in him. And you know, Jesus shows his, his character time and time again, and it's on display big time on the cross. The good news is people can find comfort in the one who was crucified. Jesus is the one who suffered. And when we suffer, Jesus relates to us. That's good news. But there's more to this good news. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing heavy here for a moment. Renowned theological giant Miroslav Volf, he points out anybody suffering can find comfort in the crucified one, but only those who struggle against evil by following the example of the crucified will discover him at their side. To claim the comfort of the crucified while rejecting his way is to advocate not only cheap grace, but a deceitful ideology. In other words, engaging in acts of justice and loving mercy and learning humility, the way that we do it is we do it the Jesus way. We do it through service. We do it through washing others' feet. We do it through self-giving love. Jesus willingly made space for his friends and family. But as we read Romans and elsewhere, we also know that Jesus made space for sinners, the ungodly, even enemies. Jesus made space so that he could embrace them on the cross. And we sing praises and hallelujahs to that, but we really miss the boat if we miss Jesus's character and example of what's happening here. Or as Jason James puts it, of the gospel coalition the cross doesn't just teach us how jesus died it teaches us how to live and in the aftermath of the cross if you accept 
what what Jesus has done in the middle of history, if you accept it, Jesus' covenantal fidelity, his, his rightness, his righteousness, it's transferred to you. And this outrageous, amazing, unjust justice happens, and it's called grace. So church, what kind of people does God want us to be? Let's be a people who falls in love time and time again with who God is. To fall in love with his his character. Let us continue to be humble students of justice and mercy. So let's remember who God is and what God has done in history. His character, his works, his acts. Let's examine our, our hearts this morning. God doesn't want us to go through religious motions. He doesn't want us to specialize in justice at the expense of mercy. He doesn't want us to specialize in mercy at the expense of justice. We have to behold both justice and mercy. And as as students, you know, we, we want to engage with others. We want to hear other stories. Their experiences. We want to increase our awareness. That's that is a, a proper on ramp as we, as we learn about justice and, and mercy. How that how that makes sense here within this house, but then also how it affects the world around us. There's so much to 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 talk about and explore. Again, this sermon isn't comprehensive, but we got to start somewhere. And I encourage you to just lean into it. Some of these are more hot topic than others, but they're all so important. Human rights, human slavery, also called human trafficking, pro-life issues from womb to tomb, understanding persons with disability, listening from them, engaging with foster and adoption care. Why is it so expensive? Why is adoption so expensive? What can we do about it? Mental health, bioethics, poverty, the housing insecure, food insecure, refugees, migrants, immigration, criminal justice, gender equality. There's environmental degradation all around us, discrimination all around us, and so on. So, but as Francis Chan reminds us, it's not about our standards of justice and mercy. It's about God's. So we need to turn to God. We need to turn to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and, and study his character, study his heart for justice, his heart for mercy his heart for humility. That is what God desires for us. So in humility, church, let us continue to ask for supernatural wisdom to be a people who have both the character and competency of Jesus, people who do justice, who love showing mercy, and people who walk humbly with God. Let's pray.